Welcome to the first episode. I'm your host, Zelda Reed, and I will be your host throughout this series. I am so stoked you've decided to join us. For our first guest, I got the chance to sit down with Brian Cottmore, who is a documentary filmmaker, author, zine maker, and alchemist. We talk all things alchemy, whether it is Pythagoras hotboxing caves in Greece or some Marxist applications of the alchemical philosophies. It's a really interesting conversation, and I'm really excited to get into it. If you want to see more of Brian's work, you can go to kemprepress.com. He gives talks on various aspects of this stuff, so if you're interested in hearing more about his upcoming appearances, you can sign up on his mailing list. He has a very light online presence, so you know you can piece together the bits that you can. <laughs> um, he also has an upcoming book coming out on June 13th called On Alchemy. You'll be able to find that anywhere that you get books, whether it's uh, Barnes & Noble, Thrift Books, Amazon, Penguin Press, all that. Um, yeah, and if you'd like to hear more about the pod, you can find us on Instagram at fringe.religion. We also have a Patreon page up and running if you feel like donating to the cause. That is Patreon slash Fringe Religion. And I also have an email where you can reach me with any suggestions, questions, comments. That is fringereligionpod at gmail.com. I won't delay you any longer. Thanks for joining. I am so excited to dive in, so let's get it going. Uh, I guess to get right into it, mm -hmm. why are you passionate about alchemy? How did you start getting into alchemy ah okay um a very long time ago it was i had gotten my adult library card this is what started it and as a as a very studious child in grammar school i'd go to the library do my homework and once i finished my homework i'd go up and down the aisles and just pick books out at random and see what i found I came across a book on alchemy and it annoyed the hell out of me. It fascinated me and I just kept on going back to it. And the reason is, I feel, um, as a kid I had both an interest in, in art. I like to draw, I like to paint, I like to make stories, I like to make books, uh, all this kind of stuff. And at the same time, I really liked science. Mm deep into it and so to come across this book that was neither but yet somehow both annoyed me and fascinated me and then I was hooked hmm. and um, I just kept on reading what I could and I don't know around the age of 14 I came to uh, Weiser's bookstore here in New York City and there was a two-volume set of the al Hermetic and Alchemical Writings of Paracelsus. And I was like, okay, $35. Someday you will be mine. <laughs> and, you know, did what I needed to do to, and then did, and then just started, started reading, trying to experiment. 
trying to enact the stuff. When I graduated high school, um, <clears throat> I worked at Weiser's Bookstore so I could read the books. And that, for about two year and a half, two years, was my, I'd say, my university, my, where I studied. Mm. Um, and then I went on to study chemistry and physics uh, so I can get the laboratory skills to be able to do deeper experimentation. Oh, so the chemistry and physics degree was sort of like in Oh, that was, that was, alchemy? yeah, that was, that's very cool. That was secondary. I mean, it was, okay, I understand, I know I, no, I did not say this. I did not say this. I understand alchemy now. Okay, now <laughs> I need the tools to do it, mm -hmm. you know, but I, but I did, I had a grasp of what was going on and I realized now is the time, okay, now I know what I need school for, mm -hmm. right? I mean, my whole approach to, to, to study, to college was basically I had this obsession, mm -hmm. right? How is the world? Why is the world? And how does this change? And this was one of the things that alchemy seemed to be kind of dealing with both through the sciences and the arts. So I'm in, right? <laughs> uh, and so that becomes the exploration, mm. right? And just to get into what is alchemy for before we go deeper. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously, I want to go deeper, but I want to make sure our listeners know where we're at. So I want to keep diving deeper into this, but I just want to make sure the listeners are on the same page. So I'm going to share a definition of alchemy that you put in one of your zines. So alchemy is the art or science of bringing something material or non-material to its final perfection or completion. The fundamental process is where things are pulled apart, purified, recombined and circulated. This is repeated until the final thing is perfected, whether it is lead into gold or the ascent of the soul. So in addition to this, alchemy is often represented by an angelic hermaphrodite called the rebus, which is the symbol of the union of opposites to create a more pure divine thing. And what it's most commonly associated in the public lexicon, I suppose, is the attempt to turn lead into gold or the pursuit of the philosopher's stone. So do you have anything to add to that definition or any ways that you'd like to deconstruct some of that terminology? Yeah, yeah, because there's, 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 there's a lot in there. There is a lot in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot in there. And um, so just to start from the beginning, that thing, right, or the, actually the art and the science, Right. Mm -hmm. So this is what alchemy is. It, it, it is both of those things. It, it works with the principles of, of testing, of reproducibility, of, um, you know, falsifiability, all those kinds of ideas you'll find in very early alchemical practice and in various degrees of development. So the idea that if I do something and you do the exact same thing I do, you will get the same result, hmm. right? Interesting. And already it's like a union of opposites with art and science, which I hadn't even thought of before. Oh, yes. Because I don't necessarily see them as opposites. Yes, exactly. But I see how they're posed that way. They could often. be posed that way. And that's, that's correct. So, um, and so the art of it is just the art of it, the feel of it. The example I use is medicine, Right we'll have uh, evidence-based practice this idea of well we will do tests in the lab we'll do tests in population get the thing and uh, from evidence we'll determine what the best practice is in terms of treatment right 
and that's the science aspect of medicine. And then you have the, the art aspect of medicine, which is the clinical, right? 40 years experience of knowing how something's treated may at times contradict or seem to contradict what the experimental is saying because every individual is an individual. Mm. So it's an art and a science. That's interesting. So with alchemy, even though there's a prescribed methodology of doing something, there's the acknowledgement that it's also an individual art and it also depends on the inner world of the practitioner in a way? Yes. Well, yes, because, I mean, you're the one doing it, mm. right? And there is a thing within a very early alchemical text where we'll name the compounds. It will name and point to what you need to do. But then it says, the only thing missing, well, that comes from you. Aww. Right? <laughs> so you have all the materials, but the main thing comes from you. Mm. So is that a create? Then the alchemist, anybody reading this goes, well, is that some sort of metaphysical statement that the kingdom of God is within? And once I open up that channel to yes, unity, yes. I can make these things. So that also opens up the conversation to what the different interpretations or almost schools of alchemical thought are. Right. Because you have the physical component of it where it's these compounds and you are doing a very real physical transmutation. But right. there's also the more Jungian approach to it where it's this is a psychological phenomenon primarily. This is a metaphor. Um, so would you like to break down some of the different oh, meanings of alchemy? Like from, how they're understood and how yeah. when people see this or read about it, what they bring to it. And, yeah, because oh, coming yeah. from like my spiritual background, mm -hmm. alchemy is used as a sort of um, internal change sort of thing. So entirely metaphorical. And then you get Young, who's a bit more... Right. Um, Except it's not really metaphorical. I mean, I it's mean, metaphorical in the sense of, well, you're not working with lead, but that other that thing that you can work with is pretty much any other mm -hmm. thing, right? Non-material. So the idea of the soul, right? It's working with the same processes. And is how you apply that process. Are you applying that process of change to the material world? The, the metal, lead, what have you, or are you, are you applying that process mm. to an inner world, mm. spiritual world? I suppose just with the um, the transmutation aspect of it, right? I've heard it said that like the imperfect lead mm -hmm. is the imperfect soul, it, correct? And the gold is the perfected soul. What does so this even mean, perfection? Well, oh yes, this is a good one. Okay because of our we we live in human society and so we hear of perfection we think of perfection as like a human a human attribute or something or an evaluation of a work of art or something right um but think of it in terms in shift the word from perfection to completion it's complete if you think of something as being brought to its completion it is now complete um, that's the other meaning of perfect, right? Think of the perfect tense in grammar, right? It, mm. It's something that was in action and then has finished. It is completed, it is done. So what this idea of completion is, let's take lead and gold, for instance, right? You would have gold as itself, and it has an identity, and you may have a checklist of what that might be right to kind of make that identification 
You then go through and you do your stuff with lead and, oh, I claim I've transmuted it into gold. Well, we have a checklist. Gold is this, 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 and this. Does this piece that you say you transmuted, does it hit all these points? Is it complete? Is it missing something? So, for instance, uh, Robert Boyle, um, 17th century, early father of chemistry, as they call him, um, Boyle's Law on Gas, uh, made this material that he called Luna Fix, fixed silver or fixed moon. And he says it has the weight of gold, it behaves like gold in every way, but it's missing its color. Okay? So it's not complete. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's not perfected. So it has a very... You move this to the human realm, and then you get into all these subjective judgments as to, well, what do you mean by perfect? I guess that's the thing, is because in a very, like physical practice of gold there is that there's a marker of completion that's easier to understand whereas it's almost um counterintuitive that in an approach that would perhaps be more like spiritual that there is a final stage like there's buddhists that say like we should never use the word enlightenment because there never actually is that complete absolute moment it's a constant flux of changes and Mm -hmm. that is a moment in time mm-hmm. that's not a check marker like the human condition is not a checklist right so is it inherent to alchemy <laughs> or to the alchemist community that there is definitively a completed or perfected way of being no i would say not oh. I, I really wouldn't i mean it would depend upon i would have to say it would depend upon um one's readings of things mm. Um, <clears throat> see, because like within the Emerald Tablet, which is like one of the fundamental texts of alchemy, right? Um, there's a phrase that is very commonly known, uh, the as above, so below, and as below, so above. Mm-hmm. For the listeners that can't see this, there's a massive banner of the Emerald Tablet hanging behind Brian's head. <laughs> right. That's my translation from the Arabic. Didn't you make all the... Yeah, yeah, I carved the letters. letters. Yeah, when in in the 1970s, I used to do these kind of stamped manifestos and visionary kind of weird-ass shit. Your early zine work. Yeah, very, (laughs) very. But the Emerald Tablet, um, what it says is the, the, the earliest versions that we have, both in Latin and in Arabic, it's not as above, so below, and as below, so above. It's that the above comes from the below, and the below comes from the above. Mm. So what you have is a universe of constant cyclic creation and destruction. It is reinventing itself at every moment. So in that way, it's quite akin to the yin-yang. like. Symbology. It's akin to that. It's akin to any sort of big bang pulsation, expansion, contraction, and repetition. Mm. It is a it is an unending Uh, kind of a thing but it's like first of all i don't think there's really a community Mm. right there that's interesting yeah i mean there probably is 
They just haven't invited me. <laughs> if any no, alchemist no, community no, no, no. is please, listening. Please, 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 no, 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 no. No, I mean, there is there is an aspect to it that um, it is. It, it's an art, mm. right? And it's more akin to painting or writing or creating, comp comp composing music or something. Uh, it is an art that involves the individual, right? So you're saying it's, yeah, there's both a material thing, but then in this creation work, this starts to get very complicated and deep, but we can go really far into it, but then it starts to get more into what are, what are the nature of whatever practices. And it bas very basically is what you do a lot of, right, shows up in your dreams, right? Whatever, whatever, whatever you do, you do a lot of it, it'll show up in your dreams. Right? I didn't know that there was uh, like dream interpretation involved with alchemy. Um, oh yes, in alchemy, yes. Dreams play a major, major role from the very beginning. And uh, indications of what the dream practice are kind of like throwaway lines in between. Mm. So here's an, you, you want an example? I would love an example, uh, Here's yeah. an example. Um, third century, fourth century uh, alchemist named Zosimos of Panapoli uh, has a partner, Theosebia, a female alchemist. They work together. It's more like a, it's more like an MIT professor and a really brilliant grad student, mm -hmm. right? And they're working together. And um, in dialogue with his alchemical partner, um, they're working on this material. And he describes in in the conversation this is happening, this is happening, this is happening in the flask. And then he says, and as I said these things, I went to sleep. And saying these things, I went to sleep. And then I woke up in a dream, and there on the seven steps stood an altar with a priest. I walked the seven steps, I looked in, and there was a man chopped to pieces, devouring himself. I woke up in a shock. And I said to myself, isn't that just like what's happening in the flask? Right? And then he goes back to sleep and continues the dream where more is. <laughs> so. That's some otherworldly stuff. Oh, yes. Yes. So this is the thing. Uh, this is known as dream incubation. Dream incubation. Yes. This yeah. is where it's a practice out of... Um, ancient Greece where if you were ill you had a problem you would go into the temple you would pose mm. your problem to the god goddess go to sleep and then you would have a dream and either the, the god would appear to you in the dream or you would have a strange dream and the priest would interpret it mm. um, and so this has been used and you will see it in alchemical texts but they're not going to say well here's what you do folks you know mm. first you do this first you do that there's other things with conscious visionary work Right, what we might call shared dreaming or a shared lucid dream or a shared vision. Again, in the dialogue, you know, um, Zosimos is explaining a process. Theosebia says, I don't quite get it. And he goes, well, join me in a vision. And she goes, well, how do you do that when you're awake? And he goes, well, and he says, conquer the 12. And this is a reference to the Hermetic text, which says, um, how do I find this silence? Well, you must still the 12, the 12 things that will kill you, right? Ignorance, passion, all this type of stuff. Uh -huh. So that when you still the body, 
the shepherd can descend and will show you the way. Wow, this is getting far out. <laughs> yeah, so you thought this I is, didn't... <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no one really does. I didn't... I mean, I didn't know the history of alchemy goes into uh, things that are so directly associated with the occult. I mean... Well, it's not a cult at this point. I suppose, like, things that are later become yes. associated with that. That's right. Things that are more associated with, like, the woo-woo vein. Yeah, but you humanity. see, this is this is actually. But that's the interesting thing is that it's actually very historically uh, drawn out. Right. Um. So speaking of this, would you say that alchemy sort of gained a new reputation and interpretation with like Young comes along, right, and talks about because what I'm hearing and is very literal mm -hmm. going into vision states with people. Mm -hmm. And then can you explain the subsequent interpretations of alchemy that are maybe oh. not so literal? Oh, yes, literal? yes, 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 yeah, yeah. I mean, so what you have is like a real thumbnail sketch of it is up until 18th century, it's like a material practice. Mm -hmm. It has some... That late? Yeah. Oh, Eighteenth, yeah, seventeen hundreds, early seventeen hundreds. There are still folks that are still thinking it's going to happen. Yeah. Right. Um, and it, debatably, folks that did make it happen. Well, yes, of course, yes. <laughs> I mean, you know, that's another story. <laughs> However, it does publication, amounts of books published, amount of things written, amount of claims, all this other kind of stuff. You know, the chemistry takes off. However. It starts to take on another spiritual side. Uh, but then by around the 19th century, right, um, early 20th century, there are some writings, um, Silberer, I think is his name, uh, early German psychologist, writer of the mind. Notice how the, the structure of alchemical writing, certainly reporting of processes, mimic the dreams. Right, mimic mm -hmm. the dream process. And then Jung read his work and was like, oh, this is really interesting. Let me take a look. So Jung started really going through all the alchemical literature. He had an amazing library. Mm -hmm. um, and at the same time, he's working out his theories of, of mind and human health and balance and the idea of um, contraries, opposites, right? And alchemy is full of that. So what my interpretation of what Jung was doing is he was, a, he was an explorer of the mind and he started noticing certain patterns. Alchemy, its big claim is, it's the explanation of the creation of all creation, small, little, individual, the universe, right? The Emerald Tablet kind of says how one creates. One is the big one, one is the little one. It doesn't, mm. It's not saying who's the one. Right. So what alchemy says is any artist who starts from nothing and creates is mimicking the same process that started the universe. Oh, wow. Yeah. OK. The interesting thing is, is like alchemy is not a religion at all. And all of these alchemists are coming from different religious traditions. Absolutely. And it's sort of well, it is beautiful that that transcends any sort of religious and cultural divides and mm -hmm. becomes a symbol potent enough that it speaks to people across Well, it becomes a language, that, language yeah. is, that you could use to kind of communicate. And again, mm -hmm. there's an example of it, and I can give that, or I can continue on with Jung. Continue on with Jung. Yes, okay. So, um, what Jung does, because alchemy has this kind of 
broad fluid explanation of opposites uniting this kind of a thing a circulation Jung's discovering this in his own work exploring the mind because this is the basis of creation um, and so there are power and then he uses these to explain processes mm. that are in the psyche um, and very effectively so see the thing is you could use alchemical theory to heal lead into gold or to heal the human psyche and mm. there are different models of it mm. the it's problem is is that that's not what the alchemists were doing they were actually working in the lab with material mm. so it can be a little misleading if your only exposure to alchemy has been through the writings of Carl Jung as as good interesting and as valuable as that is it's only a tiny tiny it's a basically an, uh, an interpretation of the theories of alchemy used in the early 20th century in understanding the human psyche mm. right so, so it's a sliver yeah and in that way it almost does well, it's a it's a double-edged sword, but in that way, it almost does a disservice to alchemy because then it takes on if these like dual meanings, but also but provides if it a stops portal you. for right. Yeah, I'm saying it it's you. like any doorway, right? Does it stop you or do you go through? Mm. And then it's really up to you. I mean, sometimes it can make it feel as if this is the most complete knowledge because no matter where you go, Jung is quoted. So if you look That's at true. manuscripts dealing with the alchemy, the art of alchemy, it's Jung's quotes that explain it, right? And it's not that it's wrong, but it's it stops you there, right? This is true. And it's interesting that it was, what, a, a millennium of alchemy before that all was rooted in the physical practice, and that is sort of the first instance, what, in the, like, 1940s, mm -hmm. that it's all of a sudden switched to potentially only being interpreted in a psychological capacity if that door stops somebody. Right, yes. Yeah. But the thing is, like, the very, very earliest of the alchemy was a... It, it, it was an inner practice. Hmm. Right? I mean, the example, the best example, is uh, the use of geometry in purifying the inner eye. Oh, like with Pythagoras something? No, this is just um, in order to visualize, right? In order to see things, in order to do philosophy, you had to understand, you had to do geometry. That's what, that's what all the Greek philosophers say. You can't do philosophy until you've done geometry. The reason, one of the reasons why they say that, aside from the logic and all the other stuff, is you do, again, you do something on the outside long enough, right? If you do geometry long enough, pen and paper you no longer need the pen and paper mm. right i know someone who they play piano so well they can look at a music score sit there think it and know how the fingering will go mm. and then sit down and go play right so this was around say like 500 bc greece people are just like yeah this was the training. geometry is the wave to pure to purify <laughs> the inner eye because, to purify the inner eye yes because you have to be able to to see thing in your mind's eye. Mm. And this is what the, the Neoplatonists write about in the second century. It's like you need to be able to do that. And you do that by doing, as they say, geometry is the best way to do it. Because they're concrete objects. They don't change. Mm. Right? I mean, they do, but they're abstract. So, you, so what happens is you work on the outside 
and then eventually you know it so well you can play with it on in your head so it's also this push and pull of the inner and outer world as a way of but interacting it, with each other but, moving towards but moving it inward perfection. right moving it inward pythagoras is the earliest person that i know of who is quoted as mm -hmm. an alchemist directly using that word in a way that well i've never heard that oh really i've never heard pythagoras called an alchemist I think maybe this was just the occult book that I'm reading, and perhaps it's poorly cited for Well, that. you know, people, there are stories, right? <laughs> and there are things that will refer to a lot of the early philosophers as alchemists because there were books in the 16th, 15th century. That maybe put that earlier on Earlier ones them. that would... Really yeah. quick to go on a tangent while we're talking about, because this is not the context that I knew this was arising out of. But uh, so in my hunting down of... Pythagoras, as I mm -hmm. was reading this um, book about the occult and alchemy in this specific section, because I was wondering where he's been quoted as an alchemist. Then on his Wikipedia page, I found this source that <laughs> that says Pythagoras used this method called smoke trapping to hmm. better visualize um, sacred geometry and things like that. Yeah, so so they entered an enclosed space, typically a cave lighting a fire until the noxious fumes filled the rooms and they would inhale the smoke until they experienced hallucinations due to oxygen deprivation and then supposedly see divine geometric shapes and patterns and paint them on the walls of the cave so basically they all just where did they hotbox get this from? cave <laughs> I can find i've them. never i mean i've i i don't i can't say i've read a lot of things it was from mysticism and science in the pythagorean tradition by fm cornford in 1922 oh cornford cornford 1922 1922 this was written i would have to go to that text yeah, and then no, find where they sourced no, that because um <laughs> this but I was like, so this is purifying your inner eye with sacred geometry. Yeah, but you know, I mean, I'd really <laughs> like, have like, is this to... the early alchemy? Well, actually, if they were doing that, then then yes, because the, the whole thing is... But here's what I find funny, is that you don't have to do that. Yeah. I mean, you really don't. I'm imagining somebody hearing this and then just hotboxing a room with all their friends yeah. and drawing on the wall. No, being like, I'm alchemy. sorry. Alchemy. Yeah, no, yeah, dude. Oh, dude, man, this is so alchemical. <laughs> like, oh, I told you to take a half, not a whole, man. <laughs> <laughs> These fumes are really getting yeah. to me. But, but that's the thing, because what happens is when you do that type of work, the geometry work, eventually you can imagine it in your head, right? I mean, I mm. was able to do it in high school. But then what starts to happen is, again, the dream stuff, right? You start to be able to do some really, right? You dream a lot. Eventually, you wake up in your dream. And when mm. you wake up in your dream, the lucid dreaming is when you continue doing your work. And then when you do that is when the real stuff happens. And so this is what the geometry was, was training you for. Not only that, it was training you on the proportions, the ratios that exist outside in the world are also part of the geometry of the world so that will read so as you work out there the harmony of your soul just geometry harmonizes with the universal soul's geometry and the ascent begins this is very fascinating as somebody that studied astral projection and lucid dreaming for so long it's interesting to think that there's such a longer history of it than i mean Dreams yeah. have always been incredibly, like, culturally, religiously important. Mm -hmm.
but um, it's interesting to think how direct oh, these parallels yeah. are of like lucid dreaming in your sleep but to continue the work that you're doing in the daytime. Right. Anyways, more episodes on that later. But yeah, <laughs> to really. get back to yeah, alchemy, yeah, yeah. Well, this is alchemy, though. This is... There, yeah, this, this is, is giving me an appreciation no, of how is, much falls under the category of right. alchemy and what stems from alchemical right. tradition. But this is actually as you are as you are working on the material. And this is when you read the early works. It, it's very clear, right, that they are working on something materially, but it's in order. The, I mean, a really good example is like using martial arts or yo physical yoga. Yeah. Right. I mean. There's a physical part of it. And what is it doing? Well, it's working on an inner part of you at the same time, but very mm. directly. So I know I've asked you this before, um, and I feel your answer is quite important to the subject at hand. So I remember asking if you think there's any such thing as like the true alchemist from, you know, in the modern day who amongst the followers of alchemy are true alchemists mm -hmm. and you actually said that people who are coming at it from a fantasy perspective with complete open eyes mm -hmm. are often the ones who are most readily right accepting of the whole breadth of alchemy that's true them and artists them and artists yeah well that the whole sense. fantasy yeah. they work with image mm. and th that's so. something i find um you know, I think anybody that works with image, and by image, I mean any medium of image. So mm. sound is also image, word shape, you know, anything, right? You're creating something out of nothing. And I jokingly, but there is kind of a taxonomy mm. of like when I give talks, sort of the various groups, let's say, that show up <laughs> to them, right? And one, I think you just alluded to sort of the, the fantasies I call like the folks that kind of come out of it from Harry Potter. Mm. Right, they're through first... Nicholas Nicholas Flamel. Right, exactly. As the main gateway. Right, they hear about Nicholas Flamel, and he was an alchemical character. Mm. And then you kind of believe this as a kid, but at the same time, you're open to stuff. Mm. So yeah, artists are the ones that actually, when I describe and talk about alchemy, actually hear resonances within their own practice, mm. art practice, whatever that might be. Mm. Right, um, and. And then you have like the, the folks who kind of come out of it from you know the kind of Jungian perspective, like the psychological one, and then you have, you know, people that want gold. But people who <laughs> want gold, yes, yes, yes. And um, so, how do you do it? Yeah. Uh, and then, so that's that's a practical aspect. But that practical aspect also involves not just those who are like you know I want to make gold. There's a whole medicinal healing aspect in the mm. history of alchemy where it was used to make medicinals so herbal medicines um early mineral type medicines these kinds of things and, and would that, you say paracelsus par am I yeah paracelsus correct. paracelsus yeah. uh was the biggest example of that would you say i would or the I, most often cited oh it, he's the one who um i would say kind of brought alchemy onto a more firm medicinal focus mm, yeah right? people were, really crediting that this is a practice that has applications. Yeah. Uh, and for those of you who don't know, Paracelsus, 15th century? 14th century? Uh, no, 15th century. 15th century. Like, you know, born 1400, something like that. Yeah. Died 1500. Uh, so. In Switzerland, was a university lecturer and is often cited as, like, 
one of the people who led the medical revolution oh, during absolutely. the Enlightenment. Yes, yeah, um, yeah. Using theories and lessons from alchemy. Right, exactly. Exactly right. Which is very sick of him. <laughs> <laughs> no pun intended, very yeah. sick of him. Yeah. Um, so would you say there's any, to go into the taxonomies and things mm -hmm. like that, so you feel as though art is something that carries on alchemy in a very real in a very real way way in a very real or let's put it this way you could and by alchemy i don't mean necessarily you know the lead into da, 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 but using that very using small that practice part of it. well yeah. it's using a practice a material practice for that inner work mm -hmm. right that's the that's the prop that's the foundation so you have you you could do that with yoga you could do that with martial arts you could do that with tea um you know we do that we mm. we were human we kind of work with props mm. right so i think that's what this conversation more than anything is giving me an appreciation for of is how throughout you know talking to people about what they think alchemy is this week biggest things are the philosopher's stone and lead into gold mm -hmm. and realizing how small of a part right those things are mm -hmm. if anything just often use symbols right but right actually just how almost unimportant those things are to the whole vision to the whole vision of it yeah. um it's like there's a quote from stephanus of alexandria like 600 and it's like you know what's the you know what's the best you know chrysocola right this 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 mineral right when compared to the beauty of the soul kind of a thing it's like a, to compare to this ascent and so he's like, you know, okay, great. We're working with this material and that's fabulous, but come on. It ain't nothing compared to where we're going, right? This is the stepping stone. These are the tools. But while we're speaking on um, sort of the stepping stones sure. of alchemy, I know you were saying you don't often think of this and you're just trying to sort your own life. <laughs> right. Um, but... Is there something that you see as perhaps the future of alchemy or where it's at in the present compared to the past? Yes, because mean, the images that we have in alchemy of alchemy are quite ancient and perhaps antiquated. There's right. not many visuals that come to mind when you think of alchemy in the present. It's all right. very outdated. Right. Oh, it's like so. it, it quotes from the past and it uses heavy images from if it is contemporary, it sort of tries to replicate something from the past. It is mm -hmm. it is something that has a tendency to be very backward looking. Yeah. In other words, there's a belief wrongly so, right, I believe uh, that they had the answer back then. And it's a question of oh. us uncovering the answer. Right. Whereas your belief is more belief in the stepping is, stone. My belief thought. is that um, it goes through ebbs and flows. Right. I mean, I mean, basically, it's a lot of what my work is focused on, right? Of like showing this parallel, or how one can use the art practices, art what have you, as an inner practice, using the framework of of alchemy because it's there. Mm. Right. It's like a level of kind of a maturity of practice and understanding, both academically. Right within the universities, within the last 10, 15 years, it's no longer like, oh, this silly pseudoscience that preceded chemistry. It's like, no, this is, there's some real serious, like, brains here kind of mm -hmm. trying to construct what's going on in the world. Right. And you just can't poo poo that. So, on many levels, um, 
there's a deeper appreciation in terms of like what this practice was then and then now I feel it's I feel like it's like where my work is and some others right where it's trying to pull out like what are what's the bottom line or what's the underpinning practice here Mm. that applies to to any work it's almost like integration is the word that I keep coming into mind because it seems in the past reintegration but it seems in the past it was like alchemy for medicine alchemy for ritual alchemy as you can apply it to psychology but right. perhaps the future of it is an integrated way of being where it's well it's the going back to, it's going back to what it was it's going back to the greeks it's going back to <laughs> actually just i mean yes greeks and arabs and byzantines and mm. because it did have this two-way street that's like so it's like this ebb and flow as you're saying yeah from yeah of a more all-encompassing approach to alchemy that i suppose is how the og alchemy was kicking it already yeah well that was the idea mm. you know but then once you start saying gold yeah people go really uh that's a bummer do you think that's why it changed oh yeah I, what do you mean changed changed from like changed from people doing it as this more like holistic like inner and outer practice without like yeah. material gain to something where now you see yeah hordes of people being curious about it just for the material benefit yeah. or why say like yeah. monarchy co-opted you know sponsoring their like individual little alchemists oh, yes, just yes, for so gold I mean, yeah yeah mm. um yeah I, I i would say i mean here's how it goes right it, it's like they are making if you follow these processes particularly some of the early greco-roman ones you actually end up with something that is silver and gold mm. right it's not pure silver it's not pure gold it's what we call nowadays depletion gilding it's a process of you follow the steps and that's what you end up doing Mm. um but that's okay because this is philosophical gold each one of these stages Ah. is there's there's there are these things that are going on okay so you you'll see this across alchemy well the gold of the philosophers the philosophers mercury this is not the gold of the ordinary people yeah right and it's correct. It's not the gold of the ordinary people. It's done oh, by this philosophical practice, right? Mm. It's like you want tea ceremony, right? It's a whole other thing than just making a cup of tea, mm. right? It's not the end product that is the thing that is the thing. I mean, yeah, you do get a cup of tea out of it, <laughs> <laughs> right? But there's far easier ways to yeah. get a cup of tea. Mm. Um, so this is this is what I'm saying that mm. there's a there's a much deeper kind of a thing to it that gets forgotten, mm. right? Uh, so yeah, gold does because then you get wow, this could do gold. Yeah, they they, they do this in gold. Yeah, you could do this <laughs> in gold, right? And when it crosses a border culturally in time and things like that, the first thing that comes across is like. I mean, it's it's the same today. If you think of a culture that's over there and they have something that you've never heard of, but yet it does something remarkable, it's like, we want that, mm. right? So the idea of um, you can change, you mean, you can make gold. Oh, you better believe it. When it comes into the West, it's like everybody wants in on that one. Oh, wow. So it's almost like, I don't want to use capitalism because oh, capitalism yeah, yeah, wasn't yeah. Pre, taken at that time. No, no, no. Pre-capitalism, capitalism. Power. 
Power. power. Yeah, money. power and money. Gold. Oh, that's so unfortunate. Yes. One so the, perhaps uh, the future of alchemy is one that is not uh, so surrounded by power and money. And oh, it always the, will be. You think so? Oh, yes. You think so? Oh, yeah. Humans, once they Humans. get a sniff of that. Oh, Brian, don't leave the people on a pessimistic oh, note. Oh, it's not pessimistic. <laughs> no, it's a challenge to action. A challenge to action? Yeah. Well, on that note, yes. I would like to end with a quote from Marx that you use. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Of course, it wouldn't be me if I didn't. Um, because I think this is a very interesting quote of his, which is, the philosophers have only interpreted the world in various ways. The point is to change it. Oh, yeah. And I appreciate that the alchemists, some of them, have risen to that challenge. And I appreciate the call to action that in the future, perhaps the alchemists that are listening to this mm -hmm. Will want to do a practice that's separated from power, money, right. success in the material sense. Right. And that the radicals seek to change their inner selves to match the dreams oh, of the revolution. Too. That's true as well. <laughs> well, this is actually in, in the in the zine I have on the alchemical wedding, dealing with this mm -hmm. union of opposites and things like that. <clears throat> There's a quote I have at the back. And um, it's a quote from a, a French philosopher, Georges Friedman. And he was, a, he was a member of the Communist Party, French Communist Party, up until the late 20s, early 30s, where he broke with him over Stalin and all the other atrocities. But he was a philosopher of labor. Uh, but actually, he has some very interesting things to say about philosophy in terms of changing the inner self, this idea of like philosophy not just being about interpreting the world but changing the world this is something that goes way back this is what pythagoras was about right there's a, um, a neoplatonic philosopher iamblichus who wrote a biography several hundred years after pythagoras's mm. life and included all of the ways that pythagoras organized like different states to this is what i'm getting uprising. to. Oh, oh that's what okay. i'm getting to oh, that's exactly okay. what i'm getting to and this is the story right whether it's true or not but this is what in the second century was believed about pythagoras and went on right was that philosophy was to change you but you had a responsibility to community so what mm -hmm. pythagoras did was he went from town to town found followers of and develop his philosophy to overthrow tyrants. Okay, so he was an he was an organizer mm -hmm. against tyranny, and so, and this is the thing. It's like to perfect the soul so that you can then go out and do good in the in the mm. in the you know the public realm, and so it's like up until Marx, in a way, right? Most philosophy started to become sort of debates on systems yeah as, a, as opposed to okay how do we understand the world and where do we get it from here to there mm -hmm. right and you need to understand systems yes so this is the thing um so this philosopher as i said before george friedman um was very much about like using the old like uh, plotinus uh things like this to kind of up up the level of the individual okay mm -hmm. and so here's a quote he goes this work on yourself is necessary this ambition justified 
Lots of people let themselves be wholly absorbed by militant politics and prepare for social revolution. Rare, much more rare, are they who, in order to prepare for the revolution, are willing to make themselves worthy of it. Mm. Right? So that's Georges Friedman from La Puissance et la Sagesse, 1970. <laughs> Your uh, French-Canadian is coming out. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, but my, my point is, is that there are, these, these old philosophies are about making a change in yourself. I mean, he's mm. right. Anyway, it gets off into a whole other thing. But the point is, the sacred is enacted in the profane. So mm. get involved. And I think that's a great way to leave people from alchemy to revolution. Is there anything you want to add or to say goodbye to the people? Or? Um, it's very good. No, I don't really have anything... Do good things, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. That's a great way to end. And that was the first episode. So if you have any more questions or need anything clarified that we talked about in this episode, you can follow up at fringe.religion on Instagram through DM or send me an email at fringereligionpod at gmail.com and I'll do my best to answer it in the next episode. Um, if you liked what you heard, you can support this project on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash fringe religion. It is so deeply appreciated. But if that's a lot to ask from you, you can also leave a five star review and that is just as appreciated. So thank you for joining and I hope to see you next time. Bye bye. <laughs>